We've got to be the dumbest team in America. And history's team, Notre Dame. Here comes the Irish. See that? That's your IQ, buddy. Zero. Let's forget who we're playing this week and just write about how funny I am. <laughs> and then we'll have a good time. And we'll just we'll clown around every day. And I got some magic tricks I'll show you. All right. Welcome back. The Clint Klaus Show. We're feeling soxy in the off-season edition. Also, football mode. I hope everybody had a, uh, a nice Merry Christmas. Got, everybody got what they wanted for their holiday season. I hope it was nice and safe and everybody was able to stay warm. I know we're expecting a warm-up about this week. So all the snow, it's like the snowstorm almost never even happened to begin with. So I hope everybody was able to stay warm. I hope everybody had a nice Merry Christmas. And we are coming to you a day after the holiday. We are going to obviously recap the weekend. That was the NFL slate of games. And, you know, recap recap the picks, which went about 500. But let's get right into the recaps. And we should start with the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears lost the game 35 to 13. It was a game that really kind of started off uh, relatively good, but it was also a game that really kind of uh, got out of hand very, very late in the game because the Chicago Bears offense in the second half produced only three points and could not move the ball whatsoever in the second half of that game. We even saw a, a Nathan Peterman appearance at the end of this game. So, I mean, let's get right into it. I mean, the Bears, to start off the game, could not have scripted out a better way to start that drive off. I mean, when you think about the fact that they started off, they opened up the drive, went right down the field, David Montgomery, some very strong running. Justin Fields had some really good passes, to say the least, for the most part on that first drive. Bears went down the field, scored that touchdown, and then it was really kind of a, a stalemate to begin with for the Bears defense, which actually held Buffalo to only six points. Buffalo went down the field, scored a touchdown. And then right after that, I believe there was a pair of inter there was a pair of interceptions. The Bears have gotten uh three turnovers. For the most part, Justin Fields played okay. Um in turn not really a great day running the ball for him. He only had eleven yards on the ground. Probably his worst rushing performance of this year and going up against a stout defense like the Buffalo Bills and a good defensive mind, Leslie Frazier. We should be very, uh, very familiar with it. I mean, not really a best, uh, as I said, not really a good passing day for Justin Fields in the air. He didn't really have any mistakes for the most part. But when you talk about the fact that, you know, he had a good passing touchdown to Dante Pettis, which was one of his only two catches of the game. And he also had a really nice deep ball down the field for Valus Jones. I mean, that was probably one of the first times that Valus Jones, who I would say Valus Jones probably had his best game as a Chicago Bear, he had two really nice returns that set up Chicago Bears points. I know one of them set up the Bears' uh, first possession that resulted in points for the Dante Pettis touchdown. And even like Dave Montgomery had a very nice start to the game. But then the Bears were, they took the next possession after Valus Jones had two opening possessions. They turned it over on downs quite a bit. They turned it over on downs and then they punted, had a field goal. And closed out. The Bears actually were winning this game at halftime, ten to six. It was a ten to six halftime lead going into the second half. And then Buffalo took the lead, 
And then the Bears fumbled. I, be- I believe it was, if I had to remember who fumbled the ball, it was, uh, it was Dave Montgomery. You know, he got fumbled. That was at the 35. Buffalo went down and scored again. And then after the Bills fumbled the ball, after this was the second half of the game where the Bears really kind of could have fought their way back into the game, but the offense for the most part in the second half, outside of a Cairo Santos field goal in which that drive, they started at the Buffalo 20 and resulted in four plays for just one yard. So in the possess and I also want to point out the fact that the Bears defense has gotten six turnovers in the last two games and in the Bears following possessions, following those turnovers, they have scored just three points, which was that field goal against the Buffalo Bills. And also one of those possessions resulted in Matt Eberflus punting at the 32-yard line a week ago against the Eagles. So the Bears offense is really was really in a precarious spot. And even these last two games going up against these really good defenses, they have really f- failed to really take advantage and really put the bail, put the Bills in really a spot where they have their backs against the wall. And, you know, Buffalo has a lot to play for, trying to play for that number one overall seed and home field advantage. Obviously, the Bears have very little to play for. They'll be playing for a draft pick. We'll get into that later. But for the most part, I mean, the Bills in the second half just really opened up the woodshed on the Bears with 29 points, really outscoring them 29 to three. It really wasn't even close. I mean, we got I thought we were going to get a backdoor cover by the Bears. We couldn't even get that from them. I mean, Justin Fields was getting absolutely banged up. And quite frankly, if the Bears are in a spot to where, I mean, I'll talk about this later, but, you know, if they're in a spot to get the number one overall pick, maybe they should uh, consider benching Justin Fields for the rest of the season, two games left against the Lions and the Minnesota Vikings. Maybe consider benching him for the rest of the season. But you also want to see some more out of him in the passing game. He's going up against a very good, bad defense next week. Uh, that's you know that's a topic for next week. So I was real. So the recap of this game to really kind of get my thoughts on it. I mean the Bears' offense for the most part was really, really, really just stagnant for the most part. I mean outside of the Valus Jones opening possession where he took the ball to the forty and the Bears scored the touchdown, they really had no really had no real threats of scoring a touchdown at any point in time throughout the rest of the game. They had the one field goal in the second half, but for the most part, any time that the offense and the bills gave them some momentum and the bills really for the most part did not play the best of games until really the second half of that game where really their defense shut down the bears offense. Justin Fields, as I mentioned, he didn't have a good game on the ground. David Montgomery didn't really have the best of days. I mean, the bears offense really kind of got stuck in neutral I mean, really, they only had 209 total yards, to say the least. Only 80 yards of rushing. That is prob- that is the lowest that the Bears have had in quite a while in terms of rushing yards. I mean, really, the disparity of talent when you looked at the Buffalo Bills and compared it to the Chicago Bears, it was really not really eye-blowing. I mean, the Bills were due for a blowout. I even said in the show on, on uh, Thursday that, you know, the Bills could make this a close game. The Bears play close games. Well, Neither one of those actually turned out to be true because the Bills defense shut down the Bears offense. Justin Fields was not even a threat on the ground game. There was at least two or three Buffalo Bills around him every time that the Bears even tried to consider running a designed run. I mean, the Bears offense is also really, really undermanned. There was no Chase Claypool, which, I mean, we'll we'll get into him later. Just uh, that, that one trade's not really looking out too good for the most part with the 
uh, Chase Claypool trade, him him not playing again, and he, it's really been an underwhelming trade for the most part. I mean, six games, they have been 0-7 since they made the Chase Claypool trade, and he has made probably a combine of 10 catches in those games. I don't have the correct stat in front of me, but it seems like that he has been a ghost for the most part most of these Sundays, and when he does make an impact, he's getting hurt. He's getting hurt. And, you know, that one trade with the Steelers, I mean, because that's going to be a really high draft pick, that second-round pick. So it's really going to be very important, as I as I mentioned later as we get into it, about what the uh, what the Bears could potentially play for by not winning the rest of these games, but that also would have to factor in the Houston Texans. So the Bears lose this one 35-13. I mean, it was a completely overwhelming matchup. I mean, the you know, underwhelming to say the least. I mean, the Bears are so underwhelmed on offense. And it also kind of made me realize that the Bears really they have a they need they need a lot. They need a lot to work with. I mean, I know injuries to say the least. They didn't have Cody Whitehair. They didn't have Tevin Jenkins. I mean, the Chase Claypool trade has just absolutely blown up that I have that I've mentioned. So for the most part, you you saw Dante Pettis, Valus Jones, and Nikhil Harry out there for the most part for the Bears wide receivers. And even like David Montgomery, for the most part, couldn't really do a whole lot. Khalil Herbert didn't really have the, his best first game back. And for the most part, I mean, it's kind of, this guy. This game kind of didn't go how I thought it was going to go. I really thought the Bears were going to kind of keep the game close, but it, and really they should have maybe kept it a lot closer to what they ended up being. But they couldn't take advantage of the mistakes that Buffalo was giving them. I mean, Buffalo had three turnovers in this game, and as I meant, you know, just last week when they played the Eagles, they had three turnovers, and in those six possessions that I mentioned, they have only scored three points. And after those six possessions, and one of those possessions was when Matt Eberflus punted at the 32 because he did not trust Cairo Santos to make a 48-yard field goal in grass. So not really good, not really good. But on the bright side for the Bears, they are now in possession to possibly play for the number one overall pick. The Houston Texans won against the Tennessee Titans, who are just in an absolute free fall. And... This is where it could affect the Bears. So if the Bears lose their last two games of the regular season and the Texans just win one more game, and by the looks of who Houston is going to be playing, I'm going to pull up their schedule right now. Oh, good old Lovey Smith could be throwing the Bears a bone. I mean, they beat the Tennessee Titans, who, as I mentioned, they're in a free fall. And they have two games left. They play the Jaguars and they play the Colts. So it's a potential to where if Jack, if Houston wins one of those last two games, which it's very, very plausible that they could. I mean, Jacksonville's playing for a whole lot. I mean, the Colts, their season's just an absolute dumpster fire. The Bears could potentially be in a spot where I believe they're going to lose one of those last two games. I think they're going to lose on Sunday against the Lions, who are who are still technically in the playoff race. I'll get to them in a second later when we recap our picks from the weekend. But the Bears still have a, are still in a spot where they could trade for the number one overall pick, or they could get the number one overall pick. And if they get, end up sliding into that number one overall slot, I mean, right now they're in the number two overall pick. I mean, they, they keep losing and the Texans lose, then, I mean, the Bears are still in a pretty good spot with the second overall pick. I mean, the Texans, I don't expect them to be going with Davis Mills going forward. I think that experiment's very much done. I think they're going to try and take one of those quarterbacks. But if the Bears are slotted in with that number two overall pick that I mentioned, you know, you could use the, that pick to get a multitude of draft picks back because you know you're going to need a second-round pick back. You're, you're going to need a second-second pick, second-round 
pick back after you, you fucking gave the one up for Chase Claypool that's looking like could be the first pick of the second round, to say the least, and it's going to be going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, that's going to be that's going to be a high draft pick that's going to be going to the Steelers. So if you're able to trade back, and obviously this is something that we'll talk about later when the draft order is officially set when the season is over, but it could it could potentially play into a spot where the Bears, if they trade back just a little bit into the top 10, and they're able to collect maybe a multitude of draft picks, maybe get a haul like what the 49ers gave for the Miami Dolphins, to say the least, because this is a quarterback desperate league, and you're going to get some teams that are going to be looking at those three quarterbacks, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and they're going to say, we need to get one of those guys. We're going to trade up and try and get whatever it takes out of it. And if Ryan Poles, and this is where Ryan Poles is going to have to start working as a GM, and this is where it, you know, it's going to say a lot about Ryan Poles and really how smart he is because he's going to be able to swindle a team. There's going to be a team that's going to be swindled from right underneath their noses, and I think that Ryan Poles and the Bears are potentially going to be in that spot where they could trade back, especially if they get the number one pick. If they get the number one overall pick, I mean, they could trade back and try and get whatever demands that they want, to say the least. But that's what the Bears are definitely in play for. That's obviously going to be a topic of conversation whenever the official draft order is, to say the least, when the playoffs start and the regular season is over. We'll have a clearer picture about where the Bears are going to be potentially drafting because, I mean, this is draft season. This is draft season. But if they are going to stay in that slot, I wouldn't mind a Jalen Carter in the middle of that defense because there's, as I mentioned, I mean, the talent level and what this is going to be a very, very, it's going to be a steep climb back up for the Bears because they have a lot to really build on. They have to build up a front seven. They can't pressure the quarterback. They can't get to the quarterback. I mean, they can't stop a running game. I I forgot to mention that. I mean, Buffalo absolutely just ran all over. Both of their running backs had touchdowns. James Cook had 99 yards. Devin Singletary probably had his first 100-yard game of his entire season. I mean, the Bears were just giving up rushing yards, to say the least. They could not stop the run. It very much was reminiscent of when Mel Tucker was the defensive coordinator in the Trestman years when they really just could not stop anybody. And it was really at the end of that defensive reign with Lovey Smith, with Lovey Smith's guys who were really at the end of their days and they really could not stop the run. I mean, it was really bad. I mean, Buffalo was just running absolutely all over the Bears. And that's why if they get a Jalen Carter, they have to build up their front seven. They have to build up an offensive line and they have to get playmakers around Justin Fields. I mean, that's four areas that they have to really address to say the least. I mean, that's, that's going to take a while to get back. I mean, this could, this could take a while for the bears. I mean, I know Ryan Poles said in the off season that he doesn't want to talk about this being a rebuild, but I mean, this is, this is a rebuild because when you watch the talent gap between them and the Buffalo bills, I mean, coaching definitely matters. I mean, you could definitely tell the coaches are definitely in those guys ears and telling them, Hey, you guys are going to compete for 60 minutes. You're not going to go out there and just compete like a bunch of dog shit, fucking human beings. And they went out there and I mean, obviously the off, but you're going up against a really good team in the Buffalo bills. Nathan Peterman threw an interception late, which, which was very, very funny, but you know, they weren't throwing the ball deep with Justin Fields. And to really say the least, the only time they did was really the one deep pass to Valus Jones. I mean, Valus Jones, obviously, as I mentioned, probably had his best game as a Chicago bear. I mean, this is definitely a huge day for the Ryan Poles draft picks with his first three picks, really making an impact in this game against a good team against the Buffalo bills. All right, let's get to the recap of our picks, Clint's picks for the entire weekend. And I mentioned the Detroit Lions were going to be the Bears next opponent. We'll preview that game at the end of the week, but 
Let's recap their game against the Carolina Panthers. The Pan the Lions, it appeared like they were going to be in a trap game spot. You know, it's you know for six seven weeks, it seemed like everything was going the way of the Lions, except for the Thursday, uh, the Thanksgiving Day game where they played the where they lost to the Bills on a last second field goal, and it really just seemed like you know it was one of those situations where, you know, the team that has everything going right for them, eventually you're kind of just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And the other shoe dropped on Sunday in way of the Carolina Panthers. And it was just absolutely like they were the Lions inability to stop the run. That entire game was absolutely it was baffling. I mean, I didn't watch the game. You know, I was following on Gamecast, but it was baffling to say the least. They allowed both Deontay Foreman and Chubba Hubbard, who are not household names. These are guys who are essentially journeymen. They're backup running backs. They're not really big-name guys. They allowed for the Carolina Panthers to rush for 320 yards on the ground. Deontay Foreman had 165 yards rushing. Chubba Hubbard had 125 yards on the ground. And it was just an absolute butt-whooping, to say the least. And just by looking at the stats, the Lions gave up 570 total yards of offense. And as I mentioned, 320 yards in the air. And it really felt like that when Jared Goff fumbled at the goal line when the line when the game was tied seven to seven, that there was really that it was all Panthers from there. I believe the Panthers scored 20, 17 unanswered points, really opened the game up. And you know, and to say the least, I mean, the Lions, the Lions minus two and a half. It was a square pick. It was a square pick to say the least. They were in a trap game spot. It smelled like a rat line, but I, I was riding the Lions wave. I've been riding the Lions wave. So, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys where I ride that wave until that thing just completely crashes. And this game could just completely crash in the way of Sam Darnold, Deontay Foreman and Chubba Hubbard. I mean, not really a good way for the Detroit Lions who are still who are still fighting for a playoff spot. I mean, when you look at the playoff picture now, I mean, we'll get to the the Packers are now right back in it. They completely ousted the the Miami Dolphins on Christmas Day. No, they didn't ruin my didn't ruin my Christmas, but it almost did, almost did. But you know, but we'll we'll talk about that game later. But I mean, for the Lions, you know, they still they're still in the playoff picture. But I mean, the one the one positive thing for them is the fact that every team that is in the playoff picture that was in, in that was in the that's in the NFC playoff picture all those teams lost the Giants lost to the Vikings which we'll we'll get to that that was a great great pick on my part the Giants great pick by my part you know plus four against the Vikings and it and I'll talk about that game in a sec but the Lions basically every team lost you know, the, when you factor in the commanders lost, the Giants lost, the Seahawks lost, and the Lions lost. All four, and so the Lions still are still really have their fate in their own hands. All these teams really still have um, their own destiny in their own hands. They really, you know, obviously one of these teams has to win out. I believe the Giants have to win one more game, and they will secure a playoff spot. If they would have won that game on Sunday, which I'll, we'll we'll get to that game next, but I mean the Detroit Lions just just absolutely just shitting the bed against the Carolina Panthers. And, you know, they're in trouble. I mean, they are definitely in trouble. I mean, they play the Bears next, so it's definitely a bounce-back spot. But then that Week 18 game, they go to Lambeau Field, and that could potentially be a game where the Packers and Lions could both be fighting for that last playoff spot. <laughs> and, 
I mean, Aaron Rodgers, they have, we haven't killed him yet. They have not killed Aaron Rodgers yet. Sad. It's sad. All right. I'm going to get to our next game, the giants and the Vikings. I don't know why I spaced out on the team that they played watching that game. It seemed like that the giants are definitely a second half team. They definitely fought their way back in it. And, you know, as I mentioned with the Vikings, you know, they, it looked like that they had relatively control of that game, but the Giants never really went away. Daniel Jones had over 300 yards through the air. Saquon Barkley had a game-tying touchdown and a two-point conversion to Daniel Billingsley to tie the game 24-24. And then a game-winning Greg Joseph field goal was able to sink the New York Giants. But the plus four, the Giants did cover one of the very one of the few wins that we had. Not really a, a ton of them, but you know we had some bad games that lost. The Lions lost the minus to two and a half, but the Giants did cover the spread. They had to come back. They had to come back at the end, but a Greg Joseph field goal to close that game out definitely served us well to cover us the four points. I saw the line kind of move a little bit over to five. I mean, so if you were able to get that at five, I mean, good for you. I mean, that was definitely one that it was a nice, easy pickup. I'll get to my other, my other W that that was one that was very hard to sweat out. Bengals and the New England Patriots. So the Bengals went up 22 to nothing at halftime. It really looked like that they were just in complete, complete control of the entire game. And then in the second half, you know, this just seems to happen in NFL games where one where it's just really a tidal wave where it just seems like that everything just goes one one team's way. And then the second half, it just completely flips the entire script. I mean, that's why these games are just so hard to predict. It's so hard to bet on. NFL games because you really have these twists and turns where one moment a team's just in complete and total control like the Cincinnati Bengals were being up 22 to nothing Joe Burrow and the offense was just absolutely cooking the Patriots defense and then yo Mac Jones and the Patriots who had a dirty play I mean to say the least I mean you can't really escape what he you know tried to take out Eli Apple on an interception that was taken back for a touchdown but the the Patriots fought their way back and really the three and a half was really in jeopardy for the most part. I mean, you talk about the Patriots who I think they went for two or they missed the extra point. You know, this game, you know, I watched the tail end of this game because the, the bills bears game was definitely kind of was still on the air. So I was still kind of following this game on the game cast. And it was just, it was just a whirlwind of emotions. Just trying to be like, Oh, well, the, I, I honestly thought I was about to, you know, it was looking like the only one win we had was the New York Giants because every game was just imploding. The Lions just completely fell apart. The Bears were just completely getting dog walked by the Buffalo Bills. And then we had the Giants and then but the Bengals were able to close that game out. They were able to kind of pull themselves back together to close that game out 22 to 18 and beat the New England Patriots covering the three and a half points. So if you're keeping track at home, we we're two and two in our first four picks of the weekend. I also added the Cleveland Browns. I'm not going to talk about their game, but they lost to the Saints outright 17 to 10. So they th minus three completely throw that one out. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Eagles plus the four and a half points. That was a game that I hope everybody watched that game because that might have been one of the best games of the entire weekend. Because when you talk about what the Philadelphia Eagles were able to do on offense with Gardner Minshew. Like people do forget that Gardner Minshew was a starter for a Jacksonville Jaguars team. It was relatively pretty good for the most part. I mean, Jacksonville was just a desolute of talent. I mean, it was a, a graveyard for talented players to really go and die at one point in time in Jacksonville. But Gardner Minshew was able to really kind of 
uh, put up some points. I mean, this was definitely a slugfest. I mean, it was a tight game, 34-34 late in that game. And then the Philadelphia Eagles just absolutely collapsed. I mean, Gardner Minshew threw a pass to, I believe it was Boston Scott. He ends up fumbling at at the, I think it was like really deep. It was in Philadelphia territory. Cowboys go down and kick the field goal. So the four and a half was still in play, but then Miles Sanders fumbled on the very next possession, on the very next play of the very next possession. Miles Sanders fumbled. The Eagles were not able to cover the four and a half points. Dallas kicked the field goal to really give them the backdoor cover. So that one was definitely one that definitely bites in that one. I had the over in that one. So that was definitely a good victory to say the least. Yo, we were able to get a backdoor with the, with the over in that one. So relatively two and four in our first edition of the picks, but, but the mortal lock, the Pittsburgh Steelers, it, it was definitely one that was hard to sweat out. It was a ugly game. Pittsburgh is probably one of the worst offensive teams of all time. It really felt like that. I was watching a flashback of what bears quarterbacks were like, this felt like a flashback of just watching a bears quarterback, just try and flail and just try and throw passes into the wind. And then they try and get very relatively close to scoring. The Steelers did not have one possession in the red zone until the George Pickens touchdown pass, which was at the 15 yard line. They covered the two points, the mortal lock. If the Pittsburgh Steelers would have lost that game, they should have just been regulated to the Canadian football league and just to the entire franchise for just completely disgracing such a franchise icon like Franco Harris like that. So the mortal lock cash that, so we are one and zero in our mortal locks. If we are looking at the weekend in total, I went three and four on our first edition of the Clint picks. So we had some good wins, had some pretty bad losses. I mean, the lions, that was a square pick that just ended up just absolutely imploding in my face. And I knew that one was relatively done very, very early in that game. I felt like the lions really had no, no real shot. I mean, the Panthers have just been playing absolutely out of their minds to say the least. I mean, the Christmas day games, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is not dead yet. I was wrong on that game. I, you know, I picked the dolphins, we picked the Rams and then I just didn't even have a pick for the Cardinals Buccaneers game because that game was just so, just so ugly. So I'm going to get to these last two Christmas day games, and then I will get you guys on with the rest of your weeks. I just wanted to give you guys a recap of our picks. So the boogeyman is not dead. Tua Tonga Vailoa. I had the Miami Dolphins. Tua Tonga Vailoa absolutely stinks. He threw three very, very poor interceptions. And, you know, as I mentioned, the NFL and why it's so hard to bet on these games is because the Miami Dolphins were really incomplete. It really felt like that they were in complete total possession. Really kind of, this was late in the first half. Really had an opportunity to really go up 20, go up 17 points and really kind of put a throat on the Green Bay Packers in Christmas Day. But Raheem Mostert fumbled to open up the two-minute warning. Green Bay went down and kicked a field goal to make it a three-point game. They went down to then tie the game. And then Miami just was shut out in the second half. Tua threw some very, very bad interceptions. Like, these were, like, piss poor, like, really bad interceptions. Looked like a Bears quarterback going out there trying to throw those passes. And that game ends up being 26-20. And I mentioned the Green Bay Packers are not dead yet. They are now within five teams of those last two playoff spots of the commanders, the giants, the Seahawks and the Lions, and for the Packers. And I'm going to sit and I'm kind of mentioned this before, but I mentioned it with the Lions. that kind of, but this actually works more in favor of the green Bay Packers because now they're not totally out of it yet. I mean, they, if some things work their way, you know, they would have to beat the Lions in week 18. They would need 
the Giants, obviously, they would need either the Giants, Commanders, the Seahawks to really lose out, and they play the Lions Week 18. But, I mean, it's it's not looking good. I mean, the Commanders next game, as I pull up their schedule, and the Commanders their last two games, they play the Cowboys, and they play the, or they play the Browns, and then they play the Cowboys. So they could potentially lose one of those last two games. The Giants just need to win one more game to clinch a playoff spot. The Seahawks have the Jets and the Rams for their final two games of the regular season. And I mentioned the Lions are playing the Bears and the Packers to close out the season. And, you know, this is not... And the Giants have the Colts next week. So the Giants could potentially clinch a playoff spot as early as next week. But, you know, this is going to definitely be thrilling, to say the least, looking at this playoff picture. And then when you look at the AFC side of things with what's going on with Miami, like Miami is just in a complete and other free fall. I mean, they started off eight and three. They've lost four games in a row. They're on a four game losing streak. They went zero and four in the month of December. And this is definitely a month where you don't want to have a, a winless month. So, you know, and every team in the AFC East is still potentially alive. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers, are still alive in it after their win and cashing the mortal lock on Saturday night. And I mean, the AFC has just gotten absolutely wild. I mean, the Jaguars have moved into the fourth spot and into the playoffs to get Duval into the playoffs. I mean, we're looking at five or six teams that could still potentially make the playoffs in the AFC side of things. We still have five teams that could still potentially make the playoffs in these last two games. It's absolutely crazy bananas it's bananas what this playoff picture is definitely going to look like these last two weeks are definitely going to be exciting there's going to be some chaos there's going to be some teams that definitely uh get overlooked definitely some teams that go into their playing a little tense i mean this is the playoffs time it's definitely this is where the big time this is where the cream rises to the top this is where the teams that are definitely in the contention spot definitely rise up there All right, before we wrap up the show, we have to give you numbers three or numbers. We are giving you number three, but before that, numbers three and numbers two of the best moments of the 2022 Chicago White Sox season. We are inching ever so closer to the number one spot, which we will unveil on Friday, on Thursday's show. When we give you the weekend preview, we will unveil the number one best moment of the 2022 Chicago White Sox season. So let's get right into it. So as we revealed numbers five and six, it was the Blue Jays walk-off, the Josh Harrison walk-off single against the Toronto Blue Jays, an overall crazy June night game. And number four was Johnny Cueto's complete game shutout against the Houston Astros. So number three is very, very similar to uh, number four, except it's going to be same team, the Houston Astros, but just a relatively different moment that is going to be tossed in there. And this moment is the back-to-back comeback, uh, come-from-behind comeback wins against the Houston Astros. Really, and this was the home series, it was a four-game series And one that you could say that was probably one of the biggest series of the year, the Houston Astros, obviously, as we mentioned, they were an absolute wagon. They were the World Series champions of the entire Major League Baseball season. They ran roughshod through the playoffs, but not this series against the Chicago White Sox. So in in those first two games, they had back-to-back games in which in those first two games they had 
back back to back uh come from behind wins to say the least against two very good teams in the Houston Astros and you know both these games John Johnny Cueto started um one of the games I believe he started the first game in which it was the uh, south side and beat them both this was a game in which Johnny Cueto he gave up two runs in the very first inning but then he went all eight innings the rest of the way the White Sox offense effectively could not really do a whole lot against Jose Urquidy, who has just been very who was very effective for the Houston Astros this year but then a four run eighth inning capped off by an RBI single that scored two runs by one Yoan Moncada Yoan Moncada and that was the uh the effective the cha where he did the little karate chop but the eighth inning I mean Moncada he had the single scored two runs and really the moment of Yoan Moncada's entire season was him getting that walk that it wasn't a walk-off but it was a go-ahead two-run single that the White Sox were able to put on four runs in the eighth inning Liam Hendricks came in and slammed the door they won that game four to two well then we flash forward to the very next night which was a huge story to say the least because it was the prime pitching matchup of the entire season. It was Justin Verlander against Dylan Cease. It was the number one versus number two in terms of the Cy Young candidates. They were the top two leading guys at that point in the season. I mean, Dylan Cease had just been on a complete run of dominance in which he had 14 consecutive starts in which he gave up one run or fewer. I mean, that's as he went on a run of success that was very similar to Major League Baseball pitchers of the past. And this was where, and the White Sox won this game the very next night, very similar situation, going up against Justin Verlander. And Verlander pitched pretty pretty good for the most part. He pitched seven innings, gave up the three runs to, I believe, and he gave up a double to Gavin Sheets. And then Yoan Moncada was able to do it again. This time he had another RBI single to get the game-winning hit to tie the game or to give the White Sox the lead. I'm sorry. And then it was Yohan Moncada again in this situation where the White Sox were losing 3-1. to one. As I mentioned, Gavin Sheets hit a two-run two run double that scored two runs and made it a 3-3 game. And then Yohan Moncada for the second night in a row was able to get a game-winning hit. So back-to-back game-winning hits for Yohan Moncada against the Houston Astros in back-to-back nights. That was moment number three of the 2022 season I know Mankata didn't really have a whole lot of highlights throughout his 2022 season including he's been the air the ire of um some of some White Sox frustration I know some of the fans have been very frustrated by what Mankata was expected to be and what he has been becoming it is an absolute um it's we'll hope that let's hope that he uh turns it around back in 2023 and now we get to the number two moment of the best moments of the 2022 Chicago White Sox season. And it is Sunday night baseball. Tim Anderson becomes the king of New York, hits a three-run homer that silences the crowd. And I sandwich this in with Michael Kopech's dominating start. So Sunday night baseball against the New York Yankees where Michael Kopech just looked about as good as he looked was shutting down the New York Yankees. This was also the second day or this was also the second game of a doubleheader in which the White Sox had a go ahead two run homer by one AJ Pollock that won them the game the day earlier. 
And then you flash forward to this one. The White Sox had opportunities to score plenty of runs, but failed to do it. And then in the seventh inning was really when things opened up, and it was highlighted by Tim Anderson's two-run homer. He was the king of New York, you know, and that was really the same weekend in which he got into the altercation with Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson called him Jackie, led to almost led to a benches clearing uh, altercation. No punches were thrown, of course, in that altercation. But the number two moment was Tim Anderson and you all and Michael Kopech's performances on Sunday Night Baseball. And with that, we are going to wrap up this edition of the Feeling Soxy Clint Klaus show. We will be back later in the week with a preview of the weekend. We'll have another edition of Clint's picks. We'll also have some college football picks as we preview the college football playoff that will be happening on New Year's Eve. We'll also look at some NFL games that we'll be looking forward to. And of course, if the White Sox decide to make some groundbreaking decisions or some something to make the 2023 team better, I will also be there to break it down. So thank you for listening to this edition of the Feeling Soxy Clint Klaus Show, and I hope everybody has a good start to their week.